pray you're preparing our hearts for a humble uh, passage that really speaks to the hearts of where we are and our need for you. So, holy God, we pray you would be exalted. You would work in us and through us. You would use me. You would humble my heart so that when I get in the way of what you desire to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There should be Bibles around you. Um, you can grab those. If you need one, let us know. We'll hook you up. So we are in the book of Exodus, right? We have been in it for some time. Hope you are learning. What does it mean to be his people in his world? Exodus is a powerful book. You have God grabbing, choosing a certain people group for his honor and glory, his purpose. You have the book of Exodus where it shows um, those people maybe had a belief that they had been forgotten because they were being ruled by a powerful nation, the most powerful nation. God shows that he remembers their cry, that they are indeed his people, that he is the God over all creation, that he is a true king, and in doing so, he delivers them. He steps up right in the face of Pharaoh, shows him how minuscule he is, destroys his people and his army, He grabs his people from them, and he grabs the riches out of Egypt to show how powerful and who is in control. He brings the people into the wilderness, and because they were filled with pagan idolatry, tons of polytheistic you know, frameworks of how they did life. He, he wants to take them through spiritual detox, and that's what we've been reading for a while now as he has been teaching them what does it look like to construct his tabernacle, what does it look like to worship him from the clothing uh, to the furniture. He's trying to teach these guys what does it mean to be his people. And as you hear in that family, I want you to remember That man, what we are doing is nothing short of retelling the story of the gospel, which is retelling the story of Israel, where they fell, but where Jesus has succeeded. So when you listen to the Old Testament, even as we're talking about this stuff, there there are types, there are typologies, there are foreshadowing where I'm saying you should be able to see yourself in these narratives, right? As God, as it were, if you are a Christian, he has delivered you, right? He has protected you. He has been powerful over things and powerful strongholds in your life. Or he wants to be, right? And so we get here, and now they are, they're at the mountain. And we see we, for the last, I don't know how long now, we've been in Exodus 24 uh, through 31. We see Moses is on a mountain with Yahweh, and he's getting the instructions the Ten Commandments and 611 or some would say 13 ordinances, right? And he's going to take them down to the people. And then Exodus 32 is kind of, of, uh, of like, wow, you know, meanwhile on the ranch kind of thing, you know, where it's kind of like, well, while that was happening, something's going on down here. Let's talk about what's going on with the people. And we see, man, Craziness. So I want to walk through this passage real quick, and uh, I want to just talk with you about it because it's a it's a it's a humbling passage because obviously it's 
It's for us. In fact, let me let me just so I can so I can kind of prove, and I'll go back to this passage. Let me just read to you what it says in First Corinthians chapter ten. We'll go back to it later as a warning, but this is the warning. He says in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse six. Now these things took place as an example for us. These things, and specifically, I want to propose. He's talking about this this pericope. Uh, he says that we might not desire evil as they did. And you can continue to read on, write that address down. He's talking about this passage when these guys go after these, as it were, idols. So meanwhile, on the ranch, while Moses is up there, something's happening down. Open your Bibles to chapter 32, verse 1, and we're going to walk through the text together. So I want to make sure we're all on the same page. The people of God have seen wonderful things. They've gotten manna. They've been fed. God has, God has delivered them from, from armies. He's protected them. He's blessed them. So they've, they've, Can you imagine you're, you're seeing a, a pillar of fire at night, a cloud? You know, I mean, can you imagine that? You know, just, just imagine all the, what they've seen. And look what it says here. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, verse 1, from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, now guys, we've been going through Exodus for about over a year. Think about all that God has done for the people. Right? And I'm going to keep doing this. And maybe, you know, maybe the, the right way to teach is for me to just go through and then talk about and us. But what I want to do, I want to take a risk and ask us, as we're looking at this, to do healthy exegesis to see what's happening with them. But I want you to put a little just like wink and, and keep an eye open on your journey. Okay? So I don't want you to do bad exegesis. I don't want you to automatically go to application. I want us to understand what's happening. But I want you to think about this. As he says that, you think, man, that's crazy, but is it? Think about, they saw the Red Sea open. This is not some all the generations died off. They saw this stuff. Right? You would think, man, if I saw the Red Sea parted, I'm going to be down forever. Right? Don't you think like that? I mean, sometimes I fool myself in thinking, okay, I struggle with my sin and stuff like that. But man, this, this is this crazy faith walk. You know, like no chairs talking to me. You know? But man, if I had something really supernatural, that would really make me faithful. These guys saw the Red Sea parted. They saw, they saw. God say, look, come on and worship me, but don't touch my mountain. I'll kill you. They saw this. Look what it says here. So, so when I think about this, I mean, you think about the, the, the trips to Sinai, I, I, I get it. They probably never had Moses spend no, overnight, so that, that was kind of weird for them. right? I'm sure they was kind of like, man, where's Moses? And remember, I told you from the text that we saw last week, he had probably been gone for about 40 days. The scriptures say that. Okay? So, you know, 
If dad, your dad, you know, you know, doesn't ever do a date night, and then the one time he does one, he's going 40 days. You know what I'm saying? I get kind of the anxiety, right? I just want to like, it's in history, right? So I want to, I want to be the people. I want to put myself, you know, I always say, put your, your, your mindset, your, put your glasses on as a Hebrew. I get that, right? Um, he was obviously a spokesperson. So, you, so obviously, you see, they, they turn to Aaron because they think, well, no, what's up with Moses? Aaron must be the next spokesperson. So they delegate him as a leader, which makes sense, again, based on what was happening before Moses left. So I get what's going on. I get that part. Look what it says here. Verse 2. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in, your, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made a calf. Don't miss that. He fashioned it and made a calf. Don't miss that because we're going to get another side of the story a little later. Okay, And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, wait a minute, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The, the thing you just made. When Aaron saw this, right, so he, he, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They just, they just started wilding out. So it's interesting here. I mean, not only did, I mean, from the text here, it seems like the people were pleased. So he didn't just make an idol. He made a good one, right? They're like, whoa, this is what really brought us up out of Egypt. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice, I just want to bring one, one thing to your, to your attention before we continue to, 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 to understand what's going on in the passage. Notice that he, he salvages and kind of does a syncretism act where he brings paganism and he brings Judaism together in the worship here. Right? You see this? Well, first you've got a golden calf. Obviously, that's pagan. Right? That's not from God. But notice, he, 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 builds, offer, he builds an altar and then he starts offering sacrifices. But what's interesting, notice in the text there, he builds an altar before it, right? So he, he mixes some of these things where he builds an altar before it. But if you notice, and that's why I would love for you guys, whenever you get a chance, come up here and like at the tabernacle uh, and look at the, and, and, and ask yourself, can you, you know, describe it? Because I want you to get real, real familiar with it because it's going to aid in your worship to God as you continue and notice one of the things you see here is that pagans always have built an altar and then they put whatever they were sacrificing right before the face of the, the God, as it were, right, to kind of acknowledge to the God, like, this is for you. But notice what Yahweh does on purpose. I believe if you look at Genesis all the way to now, when he does things of worship, he always smacks pagan tree in the face. And so one of the reasons why... This is all covered. The Holy of Holies is covered. The presence of God is way back here, as it were. And the altar of sacrifices is in the front. is so that you and I know by faith that God sees what you're doing. Right? He doesn't, you, need to put, you don't need to put your, little, your chicken in front of me. Right? I'm a little different than your fake gods. So they mix, so he can't, so, you know, can you imagine? I mean, I don't understand exactly how this works, but you've been serving Yahweh, 
It's maybe I don't want to get into the motivations of Aaron, but you seem you feel like you can't just totally diss him. So you kind of add some pagan tree, and you kind of make sure, well, I got a little Yahweh in here, and I got a little of this and a little of that. And then the scriptures say, look at this, in um, Psalm 106, there's a hymn about this. This is serious business to the, to the Lord, because it's written throughout the Bible. <laughs> I just gave you 1 Corinthians 10. Psalm 106 says in verse 19 through 23, how was their turning to, our, to worship, you would say? They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. You see what the author's trying to do for you and me? You see the word, the word picture he's trying to gather? He's trying to show you, you, you made this, what, even if it was real, it eats grass. It has to eat something to stay alive. They forgot God, verse 21, their savior who had done great things in Egypt and wondrous works in the land of Ham. See, that wasn't just, they forgot God. Don't miss that, guys. We're going to talk about, man, why idol worship is so dangerous. It says, they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. See, we're not, this, we're not, see, that's what I love. You would think that too, right? Yeah, so would the Lord. He's like, man, they forgot all the stuff I did. How quick I blessed these guys. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Can I just, you know, I'm going to do the application at the end, but can I say one thing real quick about idols? Idolatry is dumb. That's for you and me. Hear me now, I don't, I, don't, I don't say that from a perspective of, of oh, high and mighty. I say that from a perspective of humility of like, man, man, like when I find, my, when I find myself loving something too much, more than it should be loved, that's an idol. And man, idolatry is dumb. And here, here's one of the reasons. I mean, think about it. Again, I just got to talk about it now. I can't even wait for the application. With a straight face, he makes, he... They ask, they ask somebody, Jesse, they say, hey, will you make me a God? You see how dumb that is? And I'm going to worship it. I'm going to give my allegiance, my adoration to the thing you are going to make. But What's interesting is, obviously, it's, it's, it's dumb, but I think in the text here, I wonder if one of the, the pain points for the Lord, uh, if you notice, and you see this in 1 Samuel when they ask for a king, there's something that's really important here, the measure of faith, and that is idols revealed to us that we have an inability, and this is what God wants to do to us over and over again, we have an inability to, to pause and to see the spiritual realm as more prominent, as running things, and we always feel like the natural realm has more power than it does. Now I want to pause. I want us, I want us to pause on that because, see, this is not, don't make this a talk. Let's talk about this because, guys, there's a lot of idols in our local body. And I want to, I want to propose to you 
that man, when we be, when we when we got the whole the thing is God is going to know. See you, you have to live this faith thing out, and that's so difficult. And you're sitting down there, and you, God has done all this stuff, and you just it's so difficult. Well, make me a calf. Make me something to feel better. Oh, okay, I can give my life to that. I can see it. You want me to live a life of faith, a belief that you love me and you have my best and you're going to protect me and you're going to guide me even though I'm sitting here and we're alone, no one's leading us. I'm not experiencing that, 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 that embrace. I'm not experiencing those blessings that you promised. We're in the wilderness. I mean, the same food every day. I want to propose, in order uh, to help his people understand what truth is, Yahweh insisted on being believed in rather than being seen. He wants us to believe in him. His goal isn't for you and me to see him. But it's actually easier to believe in something that you can actually see, sadly. And one last thing, guys, before we go on, he, is that this whole concept that you see here is that, man, the Bible talks about this a lot. In Ezekiel 14, you can write that address down. Colossians 3, verse six, 5 and 6. In Philippians 3, 19 says that, man, we make God our belly, your desires, right? And all of a sudden, you got these people doing things that you would think, what, are, what is going on? They had sex gods, money gods, work gods, war gods, power gods, farm gods, you name it. Because our hearts are hardwired to run against things that are not God. Let me just walk through the passage and I'm going to give, some, give some, some conclusions. Verse 7, look what verse 7 says. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Notice God kind of, you never do that? You know, that's, you know, saying, yeah, when you're, when you're married, you're kind of mad at the kids and you'll say, Sarah, go get your kids. You ever do that? (laughs) Your daughter wants you, you know. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. See that? And he, call, he calls them all out. Maybe it wasn't all of them. But you don't get a, a picture in the text of someone saying, hey, don't do that. Don't make that idol. Um, three terms is given here in this passage, verses 7 through 10, that I want to just bring awareness to you that kind of characterizes the people that the, that the scriptures characterize as the, the thought process of the people. First, uh, the sense of they have corrupted themselves. So the sense of corruption, when you think of idol worship, uh, that, that basically what we want is enjoyment. I mean, the issue when you think of idol worship is like you are trying to, you want enjoyment, you, you want uh, fulfillment, you, you want very natural, very, you know, God-honoring things in a corrupt manner, right? 
But instead, with idols, when you go to these plastic, these fake things, we're, we're seeing that they turn toward pollution, and endangerment, and poison. The other term that he says, he says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. Which speaks to the first thing that I just said, the sense of they wanted a detour. They had turned aside, right? That's what happens. I mean, that, we, when you think of, you know, idolistic worship, you think of all of us that we're trying, to find, uh, we're trying to find a human way to satisfy a need that God has given us. We're trying to find this, a fleshly way, right? Whether it's sexuality, whether it's provision, whether it's relationship, when we find ourselves exalting things and, and, and putting things into place of God, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you your way. I don't know if I can go down that long road. But what I'll do, because I know what you want from me, I see the end goal. But Lord, you know, sometimes some people have shortcuts. You know, I can get there quicker than you. So I'm going to turn right here. All right? I'm still going to get to the same place. And so this picture of they have turned aside is this way of, of having a detour, a shortcut. I, I know how to do this. When you're hearing this, is, is this your journey at all? Man. It, finally, he says, stiff neck, right? The last in verse 9. Right, this idea of you're stiff neck. I want you to remember this. So as you're reading through the Holy Scriptures and you're learning about Jesus, this whole stiff neck piece uh, comes from an, a, a, it's an idea of an ox or a mule, right, uh, that won't receive the yoke, right? Just you try to put the thing, just no, just rebellious, self, just just self-willed, stubborn, right? You know anybody like that? <laughs> Which now, when you, when you hear Jesus, you know, tells you about his yoke, it kind of makes a little more sense. Put his on. Idolatry festers, you have these hard hearts here. Verse 11. But Moses implored. So that's what you got going on. You got these, these pictures, what God has said the people are like. He says, go down and get your people. They've turned in these ways. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Matthew pointed out to me that he, he puts it back on God. They ain't my people. <laughs> right? Let's get, let's, let's, uh, you know what I'm saying? These are your people. They tripping. You need to deal with this. Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Right? Now, what is he doing there? He's trying to remind them, you know what? We, we messed up. Yahweh, we messed up, Father. But man, you did, you brought us out of here. You've been good to us. You've been gracious. You've saved us. You've delivered us. You've empowered us. Don't give up on us now. And guess what? Verse 10, you know, if a prideful dude, he says, hey, I'm going to make, I'm going to kill them all and I'll make a great nation out of you. That would have been real tempting. Like, out of me? <laughs> okay, kill him. You know, so I'm glad I'm glad Moses was in the spirit at that point. Mm. So he says, why does your wrath burn against 
your people. Verse, verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, look what he does here. Why should the Egyptians say, without evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from this disaster, from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Notice what Moses does here. Uh, a couple of things. Well, first, I love the fact that Moses says, man, listen, you are awesome, Yahweh, and what you need to be worshiped and adored. And I'm just talking from a human perspective, God, but I just know how we are. If you kill everybody, people are going to go, what kind of God is that? He brought him up out of Egypt just to kill them all. I thought he was good. I thought he was awesome. Now, God can, can handle all that, but he was just being practical. It's like, no, we want the world to see that you are good. We want the world to see mercy where they don't see mercy. We want them to see your attributes of grace where they don't see grace. Now, here's the thing. He's not, he's not, this is a worship passage. This is not him kind of reminding God and God and going, like, oh, yeah, I am merciful. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to kill him. Oh, don't, okay, put the gun. No, this is not, this is, it looks like that's not what's going on here. Actually, it's a, it's a beautiful testimony of him trying to acknowledge, uh, basically remind, reminding God of his promises wasn't, wasn't like, the, it wasn't needed. That wasn't his point. It, it, was, it was basically like trying to say, God, like, I am affirming who I know you are to be. It was, it's a worship point, right? It's like, you are gracious. You are awesome. This is just who you are. So I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking you to be who you are. I'm basically living out my faith in how I view you. You see that? That, that, in, that in saying those things, he's showing that, I mean, I believe in a good, awesome, sovereign God. So I just, I'm just trusting you're going to do what you do. This is what you do. It was a means of showing his faith in God. Uh, sake of time, let me go to 15 real quick. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And if there's questions, obviously, I knew there'd be questions right here. It says, so, so well, I, hope I've, I hope I've taught that over and over again as, a, as, as, your, lead, as, as your servant leader, that absolutely, I mean, that's one thing I want to, I really want, I feel like to be faithful, we want to get into the hearts of our people, is that, man, prayer is powerful. Is that absolutely? That's what I talked about last week, and I think I mean, every week I try to show, hey, look at this. God is saying that He is using the prayers of the saints to actually change the cosmic scope of the world. So absolutely, and that this is that Him praying for the people of God, right? That's that's a beautiful thing because you see Him praying for the people of God. You see God actually sharing that. Oh man, I'm hearing your prayers, and I'm proposing that should tell us that should retell the story in our hearts that oh. So that means when I think of Revelation, as I brought that up a few weeks ago, how God hears the prayers of the saints and they go up to him like a beautiful incense and he smells and goes, oh, man, I want to use that. And then you see him pouring that out on the world and you see then the world, God doing his thing with the world based on the prayers of the saints. That should help you understand that God uses our prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit to actually affect change on the earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that we should have faith in that reality that that that's what's happening. And I even said, and I want to encourage us again, you think about that. 
And then if you are Satan and you understand, I use this in order to change, to, to punch him in the belly, I always say, and to actually change the framework of what happens in our society. Do you know that prayer is one of the most powerful tools that he has given a Christian in order to exalt his name and to break havoc on earth for God's glory? If you knew that and you were Satan, what would you do? You would get people not to pray. That's what you would do. That's wh- and guess what? That's why it's hard to pray. Now, and I try to, you know, that's why you struggle, and I struggle when we pray. That's why that spiritual discipline of prayer is very difficult because it is such an important battle tool that God has given us. And so that's why we should fight the pray. That's why we should have times of prayer in houses. That's why we want to open up this building and kind of cultivate a heart of prayer. That's why we do our prayer times in the, in the morning because, man, we need to be a praying body because God has said, when you pray, I move. Absolutely. It's a hopeful. I, I, would, I, would, I would be very careful by going, this happened here, so now I can do this. But what it tells us, a few things, is that God is listening, right? And that God wants us to pray, that it exalts Christ when we do. And then we know through Romans 8 that God is doing something even more awesome. Like, what's cool is he is God's, as it were, he is, he is the deliverer for God, right? But then God tells us that we're now his royal priests, that's a beautiful thing that he's saying the very accent that he's given access that he's given to the priesthood. He's given to us through Christ. And so now when we pray, the Holy Spirit empowers the prayer. Jesus interceding to the right hand of the father for us. And he's using all that for his glory. That is an exciting thing. Very exciting. And I even brought up Daniel 10, where I talked about how they were fighting in the heavenlies over prayer. Just to try to encourage us again. It's a supernatural thing. See, I want us to be responsible charismatics, man. I want us to, to see that, man, God wants to, he wants, he wants to do supernatural things in our life. And he wants to move. And, and I, I, we, some of this stuff, man, we can't explain. Because God wants to do some cool things for his glory and honor. So thank you for that question. Let me keep rolling. I hope that's helpful. Um, if you want to learn about relenting, let's talk about that uh, after the service. Um, Verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. Check that out. Verse 16, the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God. This is powerful, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. Notice that the author wants you to see that Joshua wasn't part of the the drama. You notice that? That was, that was the author's cool way to say, hey, y'all, y'all know Josh was a G. He wasn't there. All right. Um, verse 18, but he said, uh, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. Can you imagine? Like, man, wait, they, man, they, man, they singing. What are they singing for? And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf in the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now, it seems like a harsh reaction, but I want to propose to you, he didn't have a tantrum, he loses his mind, and then, you know, I'm through with this, tired of y'all, you know, and, and broke the tablets. That's, that's not what happened. This is actually premeditated. This is actually, you know, the theologians of old would be, are all in agreement that this is Moses' opportunity uh, to show the people that what they have done spiritually, they're gonna, he's going to show that in a physical realm, that you broke God's covenant, and as it were, I'm going to break these covenants before you. It was a very serious judgment on the people that, man, I just was up here 40 days getting, you know, writing this book, and now I would come down here, and this is what you guys have done? 
Boom. So it's a, it's a cry out to our disobedience. And notice um, it's at the foot of the mountain. Notice that the author puts that there for a reason. Because remember, all the stuff that was, this is where they met with God. This is where they had those moments. This is where you went to the conference. You know what I'm saying? This is the places where you had, you had that place. Do you have that place where you're like, man, this is where, man, God spoke to me. He met with me. This is, this is a powerful time in my life. He's like, man, we, we meet in there. When I paid your bill, remember you in the living room and we in the, remember the living room and you didn't have that and all of a sudden, boom, God provided that and you were crying and stuff and you're like, I'm going to worship God. And now you're in there watching porn. Like, no, this is, remember we're here. This is where I blessed you. At the foot of the mountain. That's where you came in contact with God. This is where the people gathered together to worship Yahweh. And now they're worshiping a golden calf. He took the calf that they had made and burned it, verse 20, with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. He didn't like line them up like, you know, some mafia movie and, you know, hey, you drink it. And that million. It was more of a sense of they poured it in the water, in the water supply. And so as they, so as they drank it, basically, basically it's a picture of them drinking this, this fake thing and then actually it turning into waste. Right. And being disposed and like as it, what, what it was meant to be, actually. So, uh, again, it's amazing that the, the, the word pictures that God wants to give us about our, our evil and the things we do. In verse 21, check this out. It's about to get real, y'all. Here it is. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you had brought such a great sin upon them? Right. So now, you know, he's a younger bro. So he confronts Aaron, but he's trying to respect his older bro. And they're trying to believe the best. You know, we talk about that a lot at MacAv. You know, you see the calf. All right. But I'm hoping they tied you up or something. Like, what? <laughs> they said, you made this, Aaron, man. Like, tell me. How? You know, I mean, can you imagine? He's trying to figure out. Tell me there's something. This is crazy. But he's also, he's also very clear that this is wrong, right? Um, that you brought such a great sin upon them. You hear that? It's a serious wrong, and he's blaming Aaron for it. And Aaron said, all right, Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, people are now, that they are set on evil. They are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it in the fire and out popped out this calf. <laughs> right there in the scriptures. <laughs> but man, I'm like, I'm like, okay, so when I do stupid stuff and lie stupidly, I'm, I'm in good company. Because this is just dumb. This is just dumb. Right? I mean, think, think how low we get when we're not in the spirit and we start taking bites of our sin. Think how low you get. Because when he saw Moses, all he started thinking was, I got to think of a lie. But he didn't have enough time. Can I keep it 100? He was 
probably thinking like, I hope he talks to him first and him first. And him. So I can be thinking, well, what would I do? How would I talk about the cap? Man, what first? So maybe if the world is okay. Well, maybe no, that, that doesn't work. But what about if it's, I said, no, he, he'll, he'll laugh at that. No, he had no time. Moses like, man, what's, what's y'all dancing? Or what's this thing? Now notice this. Three things that happen. Oh, first, notice, he blames the people. So, hey, Moses, the people are foul. Then he pokes Moses. Don't think that's not, he pokes Moses. So the people found, and they said, where are you at? Which I kind of think, yeah, where you been? So we don't know where you've been, so, you know, we had to do something. So blames the people, then kind of, Moses, you know, you, you make the conclusion, you just haven't been around, you know, so you make the conclusion. And then he pokes God. The last one is an absolute poke to God, right? Because he's trying to have it both ways. So first, he's either saying, this is from God, because he's making a supernatural issue. Now, oh, pow! God's will, a golden calf. Right? He's either, right, he's totally poking fun at God, or as it were, he's just saying, hey, it's, it's supernatural. But wait a minute, it, it can't, it, it, well, you're saying it's supernatural first, but the first thing that you poked, when you poked at the people, you made it an evil thing. So you can't make it sound like, oh, it's a supernatural thing when you just told us that you knew it was evil and say, like, well, it just popped out. So I didn't think it was anything wrong with it. Because you thought it was evil, and if it popped out, you'd still be like, man, we ain't about to work. Do we worship a calf? You see that? You know what, though? Here's what I want to make sure that we digest. He never blames himself. He never mentions himself. You notice that? And when Moses, verse 25, saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So everybody got a chance to repent. Let's be clear. Including Aaron. He's like, who's on the Lord's side? Um, And it wasn't just like he just said, the Levites come, we're going to kill everybody else. Basically, the picture is that they went around the houses and was like, so are you trying to worship? They gave him an opportunity to repent. People did not repent or killed. And what's interesting is it shows a level of devotion because some people probably had to kill family members. This was, this was not, there was no bias here. If you were not on the Lord's side, you got murdered. Well, I would say killed, theologically. But um, now the real problem here, I, I, I want to pause here because just to say that what God shows us here is that the real problem with idol worship isn't just pragmatic. We're going to talk about how it destroys our life and all that. But it's really deistic. It's an affront to an holy God. That's what he's showing. And that the answer is that he purifies the camp. And says, I am holy. 
And, and that when you worship something else, when you honor something else, it is a total affront to me, and I'm a jealous God. We answer to an infinitely holy God is the point, I would say, of verses 26 through 29. It says in verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, the people have sinned, has sinned great sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Now notice that. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Which is a, a brief statement called a statement of divine practice that God is just kind of reminding us uh, that eternal life is not automatic. That God determines who's going to be in his book and he determines the rules behind it. And that people who have not experienced forgiveness of sin will not succeed. It's this point in that passage. If you are here right now and you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sin because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, he's saying you're right now in that camp where no matter what you try to do until forgiveness, you will experience being blotted out of the book of life and experience eternal separation from God forever. You will not succeed. Verse 34, but now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent the plague on the people because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. Which is interesting that the author would remind us that Aaron did that. Uh, it's not a... It's not a, a uh, a rally for punishment is actually uh, saying, hey, we, you know, in the midst of this, I've heard your cry. We're going to continue on in the journey, but, we, I, but, but sin needs to be paid for. And so he does make them sick. And uh, Leviticus 26, write that address down, tells you, and Deuteronomy 28 through 32 shows you basically what God does in his judgment, that he does, he does deal with them as a whole group, even though he still killed those 3,000. He's still frustrated with the whole group. He doesn't kill them, but they get sick and things of that sort. Just to remind them, no idols. So, man. Okay, I'm, I'm trying. So I have so much I want to talk about here because this is, how do, you, how do we then live? Like, the question is, is, is there a place for an idolatrous rebel when you look at this passage? And I have to say plainly, yes, if he repents. If he repents, here you have an individual, I want to say, the, I would say big picture, you have an individual, individuals who have raised a, a graven image up on the mountain that God had chosen to be worshipped on and is dancing and having a party. And then we see the people of God saying, Father, remember who you are. And he still provides a way for them. That is nothing short of the good news that you and I experience. I want you to see the gospel in that. I want you to ask yourself, can I tell the gospel of that story? Because absolutely you can. Do you see it? Do you see the good news right there? Do you see your life? What God is saying is, is, is that that actually pales in comparison to what he did with the son. It's saying, he's saying, I know that you are idolatrous rebels. I know that you have the propensity to sin. And that's all you want to do. I understand you love and crave evil. But because of my grace, I'm not going to leave you in destruction. I don't want to kill you and destroy you. 
I want to save you. I want you to experience my love and my kindness. And so what I'm going to do, if you can agree with me that you should not be your own gods, if you can agree with me that you need forgiveness, if you can agree with me that I've sent the rescuer, Jesus, to offer that to you, he says, man, I make idolatrous rebels my friends. That's a good news passage for those who believe the gospel. That's a good news passage for those who need to believe the gospel. So we pause with the gospel. First, I don't want to go into the pragmatics. First, I want to make sure everyone in this room is saved. Is saved from sin and hell and Satan and death and yourself. And it's simple. Well, simple and perplexed. In that we, Jesus, our Savior is right there. And he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Well, what do I need to do, Eric? Well, what, 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 just be nicer? No. Faith. That's what he's trying to get through in the minds of these, these Israelites. I want you to believe I'm good. Believe in historical Jesus who was fully man and fully God. And God brought him down as a missionary to save us sinners, to save us idolaters, to save the rebels, the people who shun him, who were partying, worshiping dumb things, idols and wood. He says, don't do that. That's dumb. Worship the risen savior. And that if you would believe by faith that he's done that for you and that he wants to allow you to experience a relationship with him and know and experience his love, he says, when you repent of your sin, he says, he gives you the grace to believe and to trust him. That's the gospel. That Christ is your only hope for salvation. My prayer is that you would, you would believe that now. And if you believe that and you weren't believing that, and you say, Lord, I want to believe that, the Bible says you become his. He says he wants you to know him. And that the Holy Spirit will indwell you and begin to grow you in the goodness of who Christ is. I believe that. He saved sinners. He saved me. How shall we live? Can I just share this and then we're going to go home, guys? Thank you for giving me a little extra time in worship, guys. We're going to just do communion and we're going to head home because I, I got to make sure I talk about this. How do we then live based on this passage? I want to propose idolatry is, is obviously so upsetting to the Lord God, right? Because first it offends God. And it destroys us. It's a total offense of God to watch people that he has created, that he's loved, that he's sacrificed for, and then they worship things that they create. It's a total. And then he's sad because not only is that totally offending him and his holiness and his perfection and who he is, but then he's like, it's going to destroy you. It's not true life. It's not what I meant you to have. It reminds me of, uh, so I, I say here, the way we should live is we have to, as a, as a body, as a family, help each other take the mask off idolatry. What I mean by that is idolatry, uh, it seems good. What do I mean? Think about the idols in your life. We don't have to say, what do you mean by idolatry? Think about what you struggle with. What, what is it? What do you hold more dear than God? What takes, the, what takes your mind? Are you just kind of daydreaming all day and thinking about it? And What takes your mind? 
What has your devotion? God says, cast it down. He says, take the mask off it. Oh, I just wish I, I wish, man, oh, that I, you know, I was, I had this money. I wish I was this and I, I would have that and I would have this. Oh, man, cast it down. Oh, I wish, I wish I had this education. Only if I did this and then I could do these things. Oh, man, I, I feel so significant. Oh, I wish I had that person, that guy or that girl, man. It would just really fulfill me. It would be so, if I, oh, I wish I had a child and a child would just do these things. You see, all good things. But when they trump God, when the devotion for that thing, the passion for that thing, the desire goes past beyond the Lord, when you love it too much, it dishonors the Lord. You hear me, church? It dishonors the Lord. And then what happens is people are getting divorced and not talking to other people and, 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 and doing horrible things at jobs and getting fired. Living addictions, and now we find ourselves chasing money and doing all these things that we can't really be and enjoy whom God wants us to be and how God wants us to enjoy. We got to cast it down, guys. See, I tell you, idolatry is, I, I've said this before, it's like, like only it's like God, what he's doing in these passages in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, hey, wake up. And he says, wake up. No. He says, we've written this as a warning, a warning to you. Cast down your idols. Why? Because he said it's almost, you just take off the mask. You ever just, you watch those movies, you're kind of like, oh, I, I like this girl. And, you, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, a, it's like a zombie. I feel like that's how it is with sin. You like, you like sitting there, you dating like this nasty old dead zombie. And you just take the mask off, you're like, ah! And it's like, you thought she was cute. And that's how Satan fools us. He takes something dead and rotted and decrepit and horrible and smelly and foul and he dresses it up. And you walking around, we walking around with it hand in hand. And he says, no, God says, take the map. See what you're, see what you're worshiping. Look at it and cast it down. Here, can I just say, this, this is not even up here. I just want to, you can write these down or just process it. Here are three things. I just want to say these and we can head out. The idolatry will never give you what your heart is looking for. I think these, these are the warnings of, I would say, why idolatry is so deceptive. I would say it will never give you what you're really longing for. It never satisfies I'm going to stay there. I want to give, man, it will leave you. You know what's interesting about that, though? I, I love how God does this. It leaves you as empty and lifeless as the very thing you're serving. You know, I can't, I mean, I won't go into it for you theology buffs. I think, um, I think um, my man from our Redeemer talks about this, and I think there's a, a D. Carson has a, a theological treaty on the sense that he would make a theological statement that what, that what God is trying to do in the Bible is he's trying to say, actually, uh, that with idols, you actually become what you serve. And he gives this whole pericope of this. It's really, it's really insightful. Um, the other thing, as you think of, like, how do I cast, take off the mask? Idolatry 
breeds, as we see, disobedience. Right? It breeds disobedience. You have something that's getting more attention than God. I'm going to tell you eventually, you're going to find yourself being disobedient. The disobedience is going to lead toward your desire for reputation, your desire for greed, your desire for fame, your desire, you name whatever it is. It leads to destruction. It leads, it breeds disobedience. You eventually will disobey God. Because what God will do is he will bring you to a fork in a road where you got to choose your idol or him. He'll absolutely do it. You will not be able to just have both. The question is, what will you choose? If you notice in verse, uh, what's it, verse, uh, it's, see here. In the beginning, it says, you know, it was in Psalm 106 that I read earlier in verse 21. It talks about they forgot God. Idolatry is a brother to forgetfulness. And this is why we talk so much about memorials, remembering. We do the praise time. Man, soon as you start forgetting what God has done in your life, you are a great candidate to now replace God with an idol. When you stop Thinking when you, I want to propose to you. That's a great discipline. You gotta, you gotta work on that discipline. You gotta, you gotta foster that discipline to to be seeing what God is doing. To be writing that stuff down, telling your friends, telling your kids, having them tell you. Just be remembering what God has done. Surrounding yourself in an environment of the Holy Spirit. That's why I tell people. I'm, I'm talking to some of my friends. Like, you know, I mean, you, you want to, we want to continue to practice sexual purity. You gotta keep yourself in an environment of spirit, man. You need to have music on reminding you who God is. You need to be reading the Word. You need to, you need to just be in the environment of the. Spirit. Spirit, so that you are remembering who God is. So when those moments come, you go, man, no, I know, I know what God has done in my life. And that's why, have you had the moments, right? Is it just me? When God does something supernatural in your life that's awesome, and you're like, man, like you're like, I know I ain't sinning today. I'm just keeping it real. You ever had a moment like that where you're like, man, God just did that? And Satan, not dumb, guess what? He don't mess with you that day. He patient. Yeah, he's a little mountaintop. Okay. It's just Monday, bro. Right? Well, see, I'm proposing to you, the Bible talks so much about thankfulness, and just because it's so important. Don't, don't forget the, the, the spoils of God. Don't forget his, his testimony. Not your testimony, his testimony in your life. He's done so much so that when you're having scenarios going wrong, you're tired, flat, or this bill didn't happen, or someone cheated you, or you've been wronged by somebody, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't pause and just grovel in that, and now you start going, well, maybe I shouldn't serve him. Where's my idol? No. You say, that's okay. Because, man, I have so much evidence of God's grace in my life. There's so much evidence. So much. Finally, this is something that I've just seen as a, as, as a dad I'm really humbled about. Idolatry is infectious. You know, guys, as, especially as parents, you feel like, hey, you know what? I, I'm going to hide my idol so my kids don't know, and I'm going to kind of like, hopefully, that, I want to propose to you, the thing you love that gets more of your attention than God, your kids see that. They see it. They see it. And I don't propose, man, if we're not prayerful and if we're not guarding against that, man, that's going to be their idol. 
is a, a theme in scripture is interesting how how only in Christ, like before, you know, before Jesus on the scene, like, like evil, like, you know, bad things basically, uh, like infected other bad things, like it made you infected, you know, and Jesus was the one who came on and was like, well, actually leprosy don't make me leprous. It makes me heal you. Right. That's the beauty of the gospel. So I'm going to propose, even what I'm saying that I want to propose man, in Christ right now, you don't have to go, oh yeah, I know I got these idols. I want to propose, man, let's give them Christ. But I'm going to say that to our families, because, man, right now our families are under attack, our marriages are under attack, and, guys, we need to be standing up, and we need to be casting down these idols. First Thessalonians 9.10 says in, verse, in chapter 1, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You hear that? It's always, when he talks, when he talks in, in, juxta, in juxtaposition to idols, he always talks about himself being living. Fact check that, because he wants to remind you the difference. <laughs> and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. God, um, uh, we're going to have elders who are going to be up. You can uh, spend time in prayer. As you respond to worship, we're going to do our time of, of tithing, offering, and communion. The application is take the mask off. Let's take the mask of idolatry. Let's see it for what it is and let's repent and let's be restored. And let's take 1 Corinthians 10 as it, as it is. Take what happened back then as a reminder to not be like that. It's real, fam. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would indeed allow us to cast down our idols by your grace so that you might be exalted, so that you might be made much of, Lord, so that we would not destroy ourselves. Give us that grace, Jesus, in Christ's name.